beginning to look a lot like Christmas kind of thing. <laughs> we're, do, we're going to talk about prayer this, this uh, month. And so uh, one of the things with prayer, and we have to understand, prayer is central to our faith. Prayer is something that we all know we're supposed to do, but we really don't know how to do it. And there's some barriers oftentimes to the way that we pray. One of them is ignorance, because we, we really don't know what we're doing. But that's okay. Nobody really does. The way you learn to pray is by praying. Right? Can I get a witness? The way you learn to do anything. This is the kingdom, right? The kingdom is like that. Church teaches that it's all head knowledge. And head knowledge is good. So we need to have all this knowledge. But what we need to do is realize that the kingdom is a participation sport. So the way that we really learn is not just by knowing, but by experiencing. And the way that we experience is by doing. Right? So that works with everything, no matter what it is. You learn to be a better witness or uh, reach people for Jesus by participating in that. You learn to be a better servant by serving. You're never going to learn to be a better servant if you don't serve. You're never going to learn to be a better giver if you don't give. You're never going to learn to be a better prayer if you don't pray. So it's always by doing. And you know what the good news is? Everybody says, here comes the good news. He's okay with you not knowing what you're doing. Right? I say this a lot, and people love it. Some people do, some people don't. But it's true. Jesus has no confidence in you. He doesn't. He has full confidence in himself in you. That's the deal. So he's okay with you not knowing what you're doing because he knows what he's doing. You see the difference? All you got to do is walk with him, and he'll... Christ in you, the hope of glory, working out our salvation. God is working through us, willing and doing. The Spirit working through us, willing and doing. It's not our abilities or our crazy skills that enable us to be able to accomplish anything. All we need to do is be willing and we need to follow what He is asking. So, prayer is at the center of Christianity. Say this with me Jesus always answers prayers. There's yeses, there's noes, and there's not yet. There's no, there's slow, there's go. Right? That's kind of how he works. A lot of times, the, the, our biggest problem, our two biggest problems, we want all yeses, don't we? Yes, I just give me a yes, Jesus. We don't like the noes. We almost can't even hear the noes. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that couldn't be the Lord. No way. He told me no. You know, we don't want to hear the no's. The slows, we hear those, but we get mad. You know, we're mad. It's like, I want my Christmas presents now. I don't want to wait until, you know, a, a month and a half from now. Just give them to me now. Why do I have to wait? God's developing your character. Part of the process in the delay, we talked about it last week, in the delay, he develops your character. He deepens your desire, your hunger, and your discipline to move into something, to, to drive. He doesn't like quitters. Jesus does not like quitters. Those who draw back, my soul has no pleasure in, the Bible says. He doesn't like us to quit. We endure, we press in, we continue. And so part of the thing that God is doing is He's building your endurance. Anybody ever hear be a runner? You're a runner? How about an athlete of any kind? Any, anything. Anything at all. Like bowler, you know what I'm saying? Ping pong player, you know. <laughs> Biceps like this from playing ping pong. 
you, you learn and you get better through practicing and your endurance builds up and you get stronger as you go. That's how it works. It's the same way spiritually. The Bible actually uses the word gymnasu, that he exercises us in the spirit. So as we walk with him, God's, he's your personal trainer. Right? You thought CrossFit was tough. You had never met Jesus. Right? He's, he's CrossFitting you in the spirit. So what happens is, is our tendency is, is that we get discouraged. We, get, we never start to pray because we don't know what we're praying. We don't know how to pray, or we feel stupid, or we feel foolish, or we feel weird, or we feel vulnerable. All of that's okay. The, none of the, the feelings aren't, are irrelevant. What is relevant is that you do it. That's what's important, is that you begin, even if you're awkward in it, and the awkwardness is going to go away. It's like, again, riding a bicycle. We're wobbling all over the place, falling down, skin in our knees, but eventually we're going to ride the bike, and we're going to understand. The root of prayer is, re is relationship, so really that's what it is. And, and the church, at its core, is to be a house of prayer, isn't it? We're a house of prayer. And so if we're not praying, prayer is essentially interaction in the spirit. The little thing we do before, the release, receive, that's prayer. That's a participation in the spirit. And if you know what Jesus really wants, more than anything else, He's cool with the worship. He loves it. It's all about that. He's cool with the Word because He is the Word. But really what He wants is interaction with His people more than anything else. And what happens in churches and as Christians, what we do is we, we deny the Lord the very thing that He wants. He's not asking us to get up here and demonstrate our rhetorical arts by how, you know, our Shakespearean methods of delivering the Scripture. He's not asking us to get up here and dazzle us with the musical gifts and talents that he's, he's presented. He's okay with it, but that's really not what he wants. He wants interaction with his people. And some of us, when we come to church, we've not interacted with God the entire week. This is the only interaction. And so he, you, you think he's hungry for it. He's like, man, I haven't interacted with you the whole week. Uh, and what we do oftentimes as churches is we just rush everybody in and rush everybody out, rush everybody in, rush everybody out, you know. Fast, fast food, McDonald's style, here's your happy meal, have a nice day. That's kind of how it is. And we, nothing changes in the life of the believer. It is a progressive process of change. That's what God is doing. And he wants to do it through prayer. So even that little interaction that you're doing, that's a prayer. That is a communion with God. Prayer is in words. Prayer is in, prayer is in communing. Prayer is in listening. All of those things are aspects of prayer, Right? So I want you to know that. So it's not like when we think, oh my gosh, a prayer. We, we, we've made prayer like a torture. i got to go lock myself in my prayer closet. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever seen anybody that has a prayer closet? Maybe y'all don't come from charismatic background like I do, but like charismatics take this stuff literally. I have seen people that have closets that are like this big. This is their prayer closet. You know, and I mean, like, you actually lock yourself in there and, you, oh, yeah, I get in there and pray. I mean, that doesn't seem comfortable. I mean, it's like, you know, it's almost like, like you're vanquished to the prayer closet, you know? And for that person, that's, that's, an engage, that's how they relate to it. But for most people, if they were to look at that, they're like, you mean I got to go into this little tiny little room and do that's what the Bible says? You know, it's like, that's not what he's saying. What he's actually saying is, listen, don't worry about expressing this to the world. Go into your prayer closet. Go into the secret place. If you really want to know what the prayer closet is, it's the, the I'm, my brain's a little slow because I did five hours of the end of the world as you know it yesterday. So, you know, that was awesome. Did y'all get anything? I know some of y'all were here. That was really good. Yeah, it was cool, right? The, you know the prayer shawl that Jesus would wear? Or the, the, the rabbis wear? Prayer closet was when they would cover their face. That was the prayer closet. 
So if you really want to know what the prayer closet is, the room of the prayer closet, they would take the ends of the tassels and wrap them around their fingers, and it's called the tzitzit. There's a whole reason behind that. And they would wrap them, and they would wear them. And when they would pray, God said, lift up holy hands without anger and without doubt. They would lift up hands, and they would create wings with the prayer cloth, right? So they would be, there was the wings, that was, there was their elevated spirit going into the spirit. That's kind of the symbolism. And then when they would pray, when the prayer closet was, they put it over their head and they would cover their head. And that's how they would go into prayer. That's literally what, if you want to know Hebraically what Jesus was talking about, that's what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about putting a room in there with spikes and, you know, no water, lock the door, I'm here. You know, I mean, he wasn't talking about that. Are you with me? All right, so that's, he's, he's more interested in communion with you and knowing you and, rele- and, and developing you and growing you than he is in your formalities. He he's doesn't, he, he, have you ever, ever watched Jesus? He wasn't very formal, okay? The formal ones had a problem with him. All the guys in the robes and the golden guilds, and all, they always were the ones that were offended at Jesus because he was informal, he wouldn't wash his hands the way they washed their hands. He wouldn't do the things that they expected him to do. And he wasn't breaking the word of God. He just wasn't catering to their formalities. Because Jesus was more interested in reality and relationship. He wasn't interested in tradition and liturgy. And all that stuff's fine, because he did participate in that. But if you really want to look at where he went, he didn't lean into that. He actually leaned into more relational things. He would prefer communion more than he would prefer, um, you know, let's all, you know, be formal and, you know, oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, we, oh, yo. Anyway, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so God is, the, so we have to have the right perspective of the Lord. Number one, a lot of people think God is angry. He's not angry. So we don't pray because we think Jesus is angry. Say this with me. Jesus, Jesus. is always in a good mood. Always. He's always glad to see you. You say, I don't feel that way. Well, that's your issue. That's not his. You have an issue. You think he's mad at you, but that's you. That's not him. He's not angry with you. I will be angry with you no more, Isaiah says. Bible says, the blood of Jesus is as the waters of Noah to me. For as I swore when I flooded the earth with the waters of Noah that I, wouldn't, I would be angry no more, so I swear to you that I will be angry with you no more. How long is no more? No more. The blood of Jesus is the waters of Noah. It is the fulfillment of a covenant. God has determined that by the blood of Christ, those who receive the blood of Jesus, He will be angry with them no more. You can't screw this up if you tried. It's literally that good. The only thing that prevents you from accomplishing and fulfilling the destiny of God on your life is two things. Cowardice, being a chicken, being afraid, and the second thing is is a willingness to quit. Those are the only two things that stop the believer. It was when they're afraid or they're a coward and they draw back, they don't lean in, they don't take courageous steps into the future. And then the second thing that stops the believer in the power of God is the willingness to quit. So you don't be, don't be a chicken and don't be a quitter. Let's just say it. My middle name is not chicken. And my middle name is not quitter. That's what I used to tell my kids all the time. Daddy, I want to quit. Oh, I want to quit. I'm like, is your middle name quitter? No, you're not quitting. <laughs> I want my little name to be a quitter. You're not quitting. 
Other people think God is out to get me. Listen, if Jesus wanted to get you, he'd already have you. It's just that simple. You th- really think you're outsmarting God? I doubt it. If he wanted to get you, oh, he's going to get me. I don't know. God's going to get me. Or God's moody. We never know what he's going to be like. Some days he's angry. Some days he's happy. Some days we don't know. We don't know. We can know. He's love all the time. Always out for your highest good. That's what love means. Always seeking. And we know Jesus has shown us that the Father can be known. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. It's that simple. God is always changing his mind. This is what people think. He said I could do it, and now all of a sudden I think he's going to change his mind. He's not schizophrenic. He's not a man. He's not like us. Man is broken. Man is confused. Man is moody. Mankind is moody. Mankind is always changing. He doesn't change. People see God as a cop running around making sure you keep all the rules. Right? I meet a lot of pastors, and they think it's their job to make sure that everybody keeps the rules. You know what I look at them and go? That must be exhausting. (laughs) It's not my job to make sure you keep all the rules. My job is to point you to the Holy Spirit and say, that way. My job is to say, okay, you fell down, let's get up, that way. That's my job. Not me, oh, smoking, drinking, and chewing, hanging out with those that are doing, oh, you're at an R-mated movie, oh, smelled like cigarette smoke today, what's got a problem, brother? You know, that's not my job. That's not my job. Your job, my job is to lead you into the relationship with Jesus Christ, to bond you to his family, and to illuminate to you the importances of the things that he has said. The choice belongs to you, not me. I can't make you do anything, nor can the Father make you do anything. You have to want to, you see. Isn't that liberating? All of a sudden we all feel free. Wow, that's great. Some believe God's a dictator, always giving orders and wanting more. Others believe he's Mr. Mr. Potato Head. You ever know Mr. Potato Head? We can make him any way we want him. You know, mustache, beard, glasses. They think, well, we can make God into whoever we want him to be. None of those perspectives are true. Next slide. How you see the Lord affects, affects how you pray. How you see the Lord will determine whether or not you pray at all. If you know he's loving and you know he's good, you know he's always glad to see you, you'd be running to him. You'd have no problem going to him. Because you know, daddy will always receive me. The door, my father's door is always open. My God is always good, even if I am not. My God has something good to, for me, even if nothing else in this world does. He has it. He's my source. This world is not my source. This economy is not my source. Human relationships are not my source. He is. And if you understood how good he was, you would, you would not have a problem presenting yourself to him and even talking to him which is essentially prayer. Like we talked about last week, prayer is communion. Prayer can be formal. Prayer can be structured. There's no problem with that. But prayer at its heart must be relational. If prayer is not relational, the formalities and the structures are irrelevant. Because again, Jesus isn't interested in form and structure. It's like, wow, Kevin, you were so organized. That prayer really covered it all. But you weren't relating to me. This was basically, you get the difference? You can be structured, but make sure the structure comes out of relationship. Make sure the structure comes out of a heart-to-heart thing. His heart to yours, your heart to his. Make sure that's in place, and then we're good. I love structure. I love formality. I like prayers that are boom, 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 boom. That's how I like it. Man, boom, 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 boom. But other times, they're communing prayers. They're, They're just relating prayers. The number one aspect of God's nature is he is good. Say that with me. Jesus is good even 
when I am not. My God is for me. Come on. Even when I am against myself. Man, we need to put that on the mirror. Because we screw up and then we think God's after it. He's against us. He's never against you. He's always for you. Always. That is so hard for us as humans to understand. So we have to accept that by faith. Because emotionally, we're not going to, or intellectually, we're going to go, how is that possible? Well, it's, it's possible because God is love. That's the essence of his nature. Love is seeking your highest good. So God is always loving. He's not always emotional about you. He's not always in this feely mood. But what he is, is he's seeking the highest good. That's what love is. We love one another. We seek our highest good. We seek to benefit, bless, and raise somebody up. That's, that's, that's what biblical love is. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. People say, I need, to know the, I need to love God more. No, you need to understand how much He loves you. If you can understand how much He loves you, you will, love, you will relate to Him better. The love of Christ is what compels us, the Bible says. When we know His love, we are drawn to Him. When we know His love, we are drawn after Him. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. You want to know what Jesus is thinking of you? Man, so he's thinking good thoughts about you all the time. He's not up there going, man, I can't wait for Kevin to cross the line one more time. Just one more time. Just do that one more time. He's not up there thinking that. He wants to give you a hope and a future. God never disqualifies you. You disqualify yourself. What God does is he equips you. He, you're already, here's the good news. You're already qualified. He calls you what you are before you're even there. Son and daughter. Well, I'm not even living like, well, that doesn't matter. He qualifies you and then equips you into what he's qualified. We got it all backwards. We think we got to get all this straight and then we're this. You're already there. And when you begin to live as if he is live from where he has told you you are, life changes. You're victorious, you're an overcomer, you're the head, you're not the tail, blessed and highly favored. Do you live that way? Do you see yourself that way? Or do you just accept anything that comes your way? Not me. I'm not accepting it. I'm a son of the highest. Favor is mine. The bread is for the children. Healing is the children's bread. I don't know where y'all are at. That's my, that's my world. That's where I choose to live. We're gonna, whose report are you going to believe? What mind, what line of thinking are you going to accept? Are you going to accept a worldly mind of thinking that talks about possibilities or impossibilities? Or are you going to accept heaven's mind that, accepts, that thinks only in terms of possibilities? This world thinks in terms of limitation. God is the God of the impossible. This world talks in terms of demeaning attitudes, demeaning natures, self-exaltation. Jesus talks in terms of identity elevation, elevating us into our God-given identity and our God-given reality. And not, it's not enough to just say, hey, I'm a son of the highest. You have to live like that. You have to determine. I'm sorry. That's, we're, not, we're not going. The devil shows up with packages that you didn't order. Okay? Knock, knock. Open up the box. Ah! You know, some big monster jumps out of there. You, know, you didn't order that. I'm sorry. I didn't order that. Return to sender, please. This isn't mine. You know? You do not have to receive everything that comes your way. You do not have to agree with everything that comes your way. Just a thought. Verse 12, you will call on me and you will pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me, you will find me. God says, if you come after me, you're going to find me. I will be found of you. Right? He wants you to find him. 
I think that's his favorite game, hide and seek. (laughs) When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found of you, says the Lord. Isn't that awesome? You know, somebody was here uh, last week, and I was struggling with something, so I was like, hey, let me do this little inner healing thing with you. And so I did this little inner healing thing with her, and she goes, wow, this is like a game, you know? And I thought about it, I thought, this is a game, you know, this is fun, you know, it's like, and so it's kind of like even there, you know, God's playing hide and seek. I mean, he loves you. He wants to interact with your kids, man. So anyway, that's a little diversion. Next slide. How do you experience relationship with God? Number one, Jesus wants, wants to be known. He wants you to know him and he wants you to experience him. Again, as believers, we have to understand that God is not just about knowledge. He is an experiential God. Say this, Jesus, come on, Jesus, doesn't just want me to know him. He wants me to experience him in every way. Knowledge is not enough. We got lots of knowledge. Knowledge all over the church. Knowledge all over the gospel. Christians filled with all the right things but couldn't care less. Knowledge, 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 but unchanged. Because they've never walked in encounter, they've never walked in experience, they've never really done anything with the very thing that they've been given. When you start doing the things with what God gives you, then experience starts to happen. This word, to to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge and be filled with all the fullness of all he is. This word, no, Greek word, we say it here all the time, epignosis, epic knowledge. That's the word. Epic, like wow. That epic knowledge is used for the word of experience. So God says that you would know the love of God, that you would experience me in an epic way, not like knowing, oh, I got all the knowledge that I need. I know it all. Really? Okay, thank you. Thank you for sharing. It's epic knowledge, all right? It begins when you begin to know Jesus, the innermost part of you when receiving your life into him. Born again is releasing your being and receiving his being. That's born again. Born again isn't just a simple prayer that you, re- you recite. Born again isn't just being this knowing this thing up here. Born again isn't being standing in a church. Born again isn't saying my, pa- my parents were Christians and believers. Born again is releasing your life and receiving his. Principle of the spirit, releasing, receiving. That's what it means. That brings transition. That brings transformation. Told you guys the story. We were at baptism. Lady's like, oh, I prayed this prayer. I prayed this prayer. Nothing's changed in my life. I've already prayed. God doesn't want me. God doesn't want me. I said, well, it's not a prayer. It's the release of your being in the prayer. You're releasing your being unto him, and you're receiving his life back into you. And then she looked at me, and she goes, well, I'm not ready to do that. I'm like, oh, okay. My work here is done, so moving on. I prayed for her. I said, hey, let me pray over you that God will bring you to that place where you're willing to do that. And I said, that's why nothing changes. I said, it's not this mantra that you're praying. It's a life interaction. God bless, God's blessings are activated when we ask. Say this with me. If I do not ask, I will not have. We're going to miss out on a lot of things because we never develop the courage to ask. We're going to miss out on a lot of things because we never develop the boldness to ask. Well, what should I ask for? What's in your heart? I don't know what's in my heart. The first thing you should ask for is say, Lord, show me what I should ask for. If you don't know, first thing that's in your heart is to say, Lord, I don't know what's in my heart. Show me what's in my heart. Show me what you have for me. Show me what you want. If you don't know, again, it's okay. He's going to help you. But if you do know, ask him. Well, I'm afraid to ask him because it seems like I'm being like greedy or I'm being like I want too much. Ask him, man. Ask him. Ask him and I'll give you the nations. That's a pretty big request right? Give me nations. 
So I don't think your desire is going to be bigger than nations. Maybe it is. Maybe you got like a global thing, but I don't know. <laughs> you can miss a lot of blessings because you not ask, including salvation. If you do not ask Christ into your heart, you're going to miss the greatest gift, and you're going to lose in a really bad way. Next slide. Jesus cannot use what we do not offer. He cannot answer what we do not ask for. If we are not offering, he cannot use it. He's not going to show up into your life, go through your drawers and say, hey, I need this. You have to offer it to him. If you don't offer it to him, he's not going to use it. If you don't ask him, he's not going to do it. That's how, we, that's how it is. There's, a, there's an authority that he has given us, and he has, to, he has to be invited. People say God's a gentleman. He is. He doesn't go where he's not wanted. He doesn't do what he's not asked. But when he's invited, boom, he comes. When he's asked, yes, he does. When we offer, that is what he uses. That includes your life. That includes your future. That includes your faith. That includes your finances. That includes your family. If you're not offering these things, he's not using them. Big thing with Christians, we get born again and we keep all the rest for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Don't tell me what to do with my time. Don't tell me what to do with my life. Don't tell me what to do with my money. Don't tell me how to run my family. I got it all figured out. If I need you, I'll let you know. That's how we are. We go to God when we need something. We know, okay, Lord, I, I figured out 80% of my family, but I need you to help me with this 20%. And it's like, well, Kevin, why don't you give me 100% of your family and why don't you see what happens there? Why don't you open the whole world up to me and see what happens there? I got it all figured out, so that's our problem. He gives to us because he's good, not because we are. God is good to us because he is good, not because we are. He is, with, he is for you even when you are against you. Where did I get that from? Because the Lord told me that. He said, Kevin, I'm with you, and I'm for you, even when you're against you. You know, because I would always be beating myself up all the time, especially when I was young. Came from a little bit of legalism, right? Legalistic church. Great church. Stand up straight. Salute. Your shirt. Hope. Touch your hair. Hope. Learned a lot. Got a lot of disciplines. But I was very hard on myself all the time because I couldn't measure up. I couldn't meet the standard, right? And the Lord's like going, you know, you don't have to work that hard, number one. And number two, I'm with you even when you're against you. And I was like, what? And I thought, man, that, what a word. That's, that's, that's gospel. Jesus is with us even when we're against us. That's so good. He is for you even when others reject you. Some of you are going to need this one right here. You might want to write this verse down. Psalm 27, verses 10 through 13. Okay, okay you ready? Even if my mother and father abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. We experience so much human rejection and we find no value in ourselves and we think that we're worthless. Some of you have been abandoned by your family, you've been rejected by your family, and maybe you've you got a great family and I'm not laying that out there, but at the end of the day, we cannot draw our value from the way other people perceive us, including our own moms and dads. We have to draw our value from what the Lord says. And God says, listen, if everybody leaves you, I will not. That's why he's illustrating mother and father. The closest kin, even if those who are closest, even if those who bore you, you know, leave you, I won't. Even if you're, my enemies are waiting for me to fail. Anybody got any of those? Enemies waiting for you to fail. It says, yet I will remain confident that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Come on, in the world. 
The one who comes to me, I will no way cast away. God is not going to ever cast you away, Christian. He loves you. Even if you don't know Jesus, He loves you. I can't come to Him. Lord would run from me if I came to Him. No, He would run to you. Why He does that? I don't know. For us to believe or think that we understand His love, we're, we're, we're crazy. How unsearchable are your depths? His love is beyond our ability to understand. His love is not given to us to understand. It's given to us to receive. And once we receive it, that love comes into us, and now all of a sudden we start expressing it. And we don't even know ourselves anymore. You're like, man, what the heck? Who are you? You know? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. That's how it is. So to try to understand his love, good luck. Just, just receive it. Don't try to understand it. Just say, he wants to give it. I want it. That's another thing I learned. Like, if I'm giving you something or I'm offering you something, why would you not receive it? So you come in here on Sunday and Jesus is offering something. I give him the space to offer you whatever he wants to give you. I tell him, what do you want to give them? I know you want to bless him. What do you want to give? And he's like, wow, so glad you asked. He always wants to give. But it always amazes me that some people won't receive. It's just like, no, not receiving. And for whatever reason, I don't quite understand the reason, but if God is offering something, take it. Take it. Say this with me. I will not be too holy for a blessing. I will not be too self-righteous for a blessing. I will not be too self-condemning for a blessing. Too holy for a blessing. Oh, no, I'm spiritual. <laughs> I got everything I need. Okay. <laughs> Next slide. He demonstrates his love for you and will not keep anything from you. This, again, is good news. If he didn't spare his son, I love this verse. I love this verse. See, since God did not spare his own son, but gave Christ up for us, Jesus came and gave his life for us, how will he not freely give you all things? Everybody say it with me. All things. Everything. If he didn't spare Jesus, if Jesus didn't spare his own life, but gave his life away to the point that he bled out for you, it wasn't like this real quick thing, Jesus died. He bled out, okay? He hung on a cross with the sun beating down without thirst. I mean, it was a torturous experience. Everybody heard the word excruciating pain? That word comes from the word crux, which is where we get the word cross. So pain in the highest level comes from the word crucifixion. So he experienced pain, bled out for you, and gave it all for you. And he gave it willingly. And if he gave everything like that for you, why would he not give you more? Another favorite verse. David, he told David. David went out and got it all for himself. He wanted Bathsheba. He said, I see her. I want her. I'm going to take her. She's mine. Even though he had plenty of his own, he took it. And the Lord says to him when he corrected him, among many things, one of the things he said to him was, I gave you all this, and if it wasn't enough, I would have given you more. What? If it wasn't enough, I would have given you more. Some of you need to present that to the Lord. Go, Lord, it's not enough. I need more. I, this is not enough. I need more. That's a promise. Now, with the more, he's going he's to say, okay, you want more, Kevin? Great. Let's deal with the pride. Let's deal with this. Let's deal with that. Let's get this out of the way so that I can actually give you more. That's what we always border up against. We think, we think God is going to give us something without requiring a change in our life. 
Your, cha- you, your life is like that storage building over there. So filled with so much junk that nobody can put anything in there anymore. You got so much garbage in you. And so when you're asking God to give you something, He wants to give you something. But chances are He's going to have to clear out the old in order to bring in the new. And most believers refuse to let Him clear out the old. And so we sit like storage units. And everything inside of us goes stale, 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 stale. Paying, 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 paying thousands of dollars a year for stuff that's worth hundreds of dollars. <laughs> Literally. You ever think about people put stuff in storage? We went and visited a storage building. I'm running out of time, but we went and visited a storage building, and it was all fences, so you could see what people had in their storage, right? And so I was in there helping a friend clear out a storage building, which I do not volunteer for, by the way. But anyway, it was on the fourth floor of this building. Wonderful person. We, we, so I went and helped her. But the, she, taking her stuff out of there, and I'm walking through there, and I'm looking in these storage units, and I'm thinking, this is $300 a month? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so this is like $3,600 a year. And she's like, yeah. And I'm looking in these storage units, and I'm thinking, there is no crap in that room that's worth $3,600. Yet, you're paying $3,600 a year for four, five, six years. You're paying fifteen grand for stuff that's worth 500 bucks. That's how we think. And I actually was talking to the owner of the storage unit. Somebody's like, I'm cleaning out my storage unit today, man. <laughs> you were right. He said he's had people that have been in the storage unit for five years. They, un- they, they take all their crap out and throw it away. He said immediately when they decide they're not doing it anymore, he said they literally bring it downstairs and throw it in the dumpster after paying on it for five years. I mean, at what point are you going to keep holding back and paying on something that you don't need anyway? When are you going to give Jesus the room and you ask him for stuff and you go, well, God doesn't love me. He didn't give me what I asked for. Well, did you clean out the closet like he told you? Did you go into the garage, get up on the shelf, and get all those nasty boxes down and get rid of them? Did you do that? Did you go through your closet and get rid of all the clothes that don't fit you anymore, that you keep dreaming that you're going to fit again one day, so that Jesus can actually give you some new clothes? I want new clothes, Lord, or I want whatever. I want a new life. I want a new presentation. Great. Let's take this old stuff so that I can actually bring it to you. You can't fit anything else on the shelf anyway. Your closet's so jammed with stuff. And you're like, Jesus, give me more. Okay, well, can we get rid of that? No, well, then I can't give you more. He's not withholding from you because he's not good. He's withholding from you because you've got to partner with this transaction. So we judge God because we don't know him. That's the problem. We, we judge God as evil. We judge God as unloving. We judge God as wicked because we don't understand what it is that he's doing. He's not, He's good. And if, if his goodness isn't coming within us, so there's a problem on our side. Problem's never with him. Problem's always with us. We've got to learn to do, okay, Lord, what's my major malfunction? And the only way you're going to ever ask him that is if you realize he loves you. If you realize he loves you and he will not hurt you, and everything that he tells you is for your benefit, not your degrading, then you'll go to him. You go to him and I, go, I don't have a problem because I know he doesn't reject me. I'm like, Lord, what's my problem? Here's your problem, Kevin. I'm like, okay, that's my problem. Okay, uh, I don't know if I can fix that, Jesus. I don't know where I'm at, if I'm at that place. Help me get to that place where I can fix that. He'll tell you, but I'm willing to go to him because I know he loves me. And I know he never rejects me. And I know he never dishonors me. And I know he never is go- he's not against me. He's for me. And so we've got to have that heart. Instead of we're afraid to go to God, we're afraid to let Jesus look in our closets. Look in the closet. He already knows what's there anyway. He probably wants to show you what's in the closet 
Let me show you a few things you're not aware of. Get the flashlight out. You see that down there? Oh my gosh, how did that get there? <laughs> you want to keep that, Kevin? No, man, let's get rid of that. Shh, go on. This is how he works. Yeah. Behold, I do a new thing. So when we ask Jesus, he does a new thing. You ask him, he's going to do something new. Aren't you glad? I like new stuff, right? Shall it not spring forth? I will cause you to know it, and I will make you a road in the wilderness. You need a road in the wilderness? Have you asked for it? You need a river in the desert? Are you in a dry, weary, barren place? Do you need rivers in the desert? I need rivers in the desert. I don't even know what that looks like, but I want that. You know, away in the wilderness is when you don't know where to go, where you just feel like you're lost. He's going to make a path. He'll make a way. When you call, he does something new. He creates rivers and paths. Next slide. Because he is good and because he loves us, because he is for, for us, we can come to him without fear. This is the beauty and the wonder of it all. Say this with me. There is no fear in love. Say this with me. Perfect love casts out fear. Jesus perfectly loves you. Perfectly loves you. He is for you in every single aspect of the, of the way. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. So when we come into his presence, and by the way, ready for this? We come before a throne, not before an altar. Which means there is no sacrifice that is required for you to access his presence. We don't come boldly before the altar of grace. We come boldly before the ruling power of grace. We come to a throne, not an altar. So many Christians just want to beat themselves up and crawl on their hands and knees and do all this penance just to get into his presence. He never tells you to do that. He says, come to my ruling authority. You'll have mercy, charis, you'll have kindness. We, what, what do we do? The first thing we do is we get mercy. So the first thing you do when you walk into his presence, to his throne, is you have mercy. Favor's already on you. You're accepted. But what we're looking for is grace. Grace is spiritual empowerment. So when we go before the Lord, we're not going to an altar. We're not doing penance. We're not beating ourselves up. We're not crawling on the floor. We're coming as sons and daughters. And as soon as we walk in and present ourselves as sons and daughters, the mercy of God, which is his favor, okay? His favor's on you. You're not rejected. You're accepted. And you go before him to find grace. Grace is the empowerment of God by the Spirit. That's what grace is. The ability of God given spiritually. So we go to Him to receive spiritual ability. We can come boldly, not without, without fear. No fear in love, 1 John says. No fear in love. We come before a throne, not an altar, and we do not need to sacrifice to enter His presence. You need to know the Lord is good. You need to call on Him. You need to ask Him. God wants to help you even in the inconsequential. He wants to help you even in your really messed up mess. All right? Because he wants to develop a relationship with you. We used to work with, I used to work with a church, and it was in a crazy place, and there were some crazy people that would ask God for crazy things, and they would actually tell me what they asked for. Right? And they'd say, I believe in God, and I'm asking for that. And I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. Well... <laughs> let's ask according to his will I'll give you one that's pretty safe to share some of them aren't really safe to share one guy goes man I believe in God for a thousand bucks my friends are coming into town and they're all going out on a cruise ship party boat man 
and I'm believing God for that $1,000. I'm like, okay. And then he didn't get the money. He's like, yeah, God didn't give me the $1,000. I don't think he loves me. I said, no, he, he answered you. He told you no. That's what basically the, the point there. When I was trying to go, you want, a thousand, you want Jesus to give you 1000 bucks so you can go out there and go on a bender for a week, and week with, your, with your friends? I don't really think that's in his will. You know, however, you know, so anyway, but, but what God does, even in that crazy request, God begins to minister to the person because he will meet you where you are and he will develop you. I commended the guy for asking. We shouldn't condemn people for asking God. It's like, because God's like, he's not freaked out. He's like, oh, okay. All right, so clearly there's some issues we need to work on. You're still wanting to go out and do that. So I know you're asking me, you know, and so he, he begins to minister to you through that process. So it's okay to ask him, even if your requests seem crazy, because God will redirect your requests, right? He'll redirect the way that you're going. So we're going to end right there. So I pray I put the love of God in your heart this morning so that you will be prayerful to him and go to him and be communing with him and realize that you are loved and accepted and that there is no fear. That's my heart for you today. One of the, one of the things that I felt like God told me when we started this church, because I asked him, what do you want from me? Why do you need me? What do you want me to do in all of the junk that I presented to him? One of the things that he told me to do with this church from the very beginning is he told me, teach my people to call on me. Teach them and tell them to call on me. Jeremiah says, my people do not come to me days without number. That is a broken heart. That's how God is expressing that. You don't come to me days, and there's reasons why. One of the reasons is we have false perceptions. That he loves you, and he wants you to call on him. He wants you to. So let's pray. Let me just release. Let me bless you one more time. We're going to have the pictures in between the services. We probably have a prayer team available over here. Um, the white team and anybody else on our prayer team. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live within His favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. We got photos, family photos today.